This podcast was brought to you by withaim.co. You're listening to Vanishing Shadows. This is episode one, From Restaurateur to Homelessness, A Fight for Survival. In sociological terms, they call it the fundamental attribution error. Basically, it means that when people see someone in a bad situation, they tend to believe that individual brought it on themselves. Of course, there are always external situational forces at play. But it's human nature to think it could never happen to you. You'd fight back differently if attacked. Crawl your way out of the burning building. Wouldn't fall for that online scam. And of course, you'd never end up sleeping on the streets. Those people have drug problems, mental health issues, no work ethic. What did I think of the homeless before I became one of them? Not much is the short answer. Each year, I donated to a local shelter that served Thanksgiving dinners. I occasionally tossed coins into hats or empty coffee cups, but I didn't meet their eyes. I didn't ask their names. Sometimes I'd even cross the street to avoid them. I was not without compassion for the displaced, but they were just so separate, so other. There was no way I'd ever become one of them. I pulled the sleeping bag up to my chin and stretched my legs out under the steering column. The back seat would be more comfortable but I'm too on edge to sleep there. Instead, I doze in the reclined driver's seat, with the doors locked and the keys in the ignition. If anyone comes, the police, thieves, or worse, I can be on my way in a second. My Toyota sedan is just one in a row of bedrooms on wheels, parked on this quiet street, under a dank underpass. Our vehicles form an unsightly border along the edge of a big box hardware store's parking lot. Will I ever relax enough to sleep soundly, horizontally? Hopefully, I won't be here long enough to find out. In these quiet moments, it still baffles me that I ended up like this. I'm bright, educated. I owned a successful business. I'm not hooked on any substances, although I drink more now and the console beside me sits a bottle of whiskey. It's for warmth, to dull the edges and settle my nerves enough to allow me to doze off. Picking it up, I take a sip, and for a moment, I feel nothing but this. The warmth traveling down my throat, burning in my belly. It's tempting to take another drink. And another. But I can't overdo it. I need to keep my wits about me and I mustn't develop a dependency. I replace the cap and set it back in the console. The light goes out in the motorhome in front of me. It's a kerosene lantern. The occupants can't afford to drain their battery using the vehicle lights. Margot and Doug are in their 60s. Margot has health issues. Cancer, though I'm not sure what kind. Doug worked at a hotel, but was laid off. Another victim of the pandemic? the economy, life in general. They have a large dog, Luna, a pit bull cross that makes it hard to rent a room. I try to park behind them when I can. Their rundown Winnebago never moves, sporting an intricate addition of tarps that keeps out the rain and creates an awning they can sit under. 
We're not friends exactly, but we chat sometimes. And their proximity, and Luna's, makes me feel safer, less alone. They look out for me too. It was Doug who gave me the knife. I finger the wooden handle pressing against my right hip. The blade is between the seat and the console, a sort of holster. If I need to, I can pull it out in a second, brandish it at my attacker. Women aren't safe here, Doug stated the obvious. Be prepared to use this. I had assured him I was, but could I really stab someone? Pierce their flesh with this sharp blade. Plunge it into their chest or neck or belly? I'm capable of lots of things I never thought possible before. Desperate people will commit desperate acts. When my restaurant was failing, my life's dream crumbling before my eyes. I lied, I cheated, and I manipulated. I destroyed people. Hurt the ones I loved. So could I stab someone to save my own life? Of course. It is late, and a false sense of peace descends. In the distance, someone is shouting angrily, at someone or no one. But eventually, it peters out. A bottle clinks against another, but it is soft and infrequent. The hum of sporadic traffic on the overpass lulls me. Somehow, I don't hear them approaching. Either I have drifted off or they are being stealthy. Probably a combination of the two. Suddenly they're here, on either side of my car, gray sunken faces peering into my darkened home. Fear twists in my belly. My hand moves to the knife at my side. Hey, honey, one man says, and I see missing teeth through the fog of his breath on my window. I meet his eyes for a second and see the blackness, the blankness. He's an addict. I know the look by now. His humanity has been usurped by his need for drugs. Judging by the sores on his face, he's hooked on meth. The chemical can turn humans into wild animals. Angry, aggressive, unpredictable. The man on the other side of the vehicle has his face to the passenger side glass. His eyes dart around the car and its contents, sizing up anything valuable. In the weeks I've been sleeping here, I've had to speed away once before. I heard them that time. They broke a window in a van farther up the line. That night, I started my car and pulled away before they got to me. Since then, I've practiced the scenario in my mind. Pull the lever to return the seat to its upright position. Turn the key, stomp on the gas. Open up, pretty lady, the toothless man says. And a frisson of disgust shudders through my body. Does he want more than my belongings? I grab the knife and hold it to the window. The blade taps on the glass, a threat. But he doesn't back away, and he doesn't look concerned. In fact, his rotten mouth smiles at me. My hands feel sweaty and slippery as I fumble to right my seat. I'm not drunk, but the whiskey has made me slow and dull, and I'm terrified. My seat pops forward, and I drop the knife, reach for the key. It's okay, Lee. I assure myself as I turn the ignition. You're safe. You're out of here. And then the passenger window shatters. I scream as a hand dives into the car, feeling blindly for something, anything to grab. It's not me he's after, at least. 
but my backpack is right there on the seat. My purse is on the floor. Before I can put the car into gear, the backpack disappears through the broken window. That I can live without. It's got clothes, toiletries, things I can just afford to replace. I slam the gear shift into drive as the arm dives back inside, reaching for my purse. No, 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 not that. While I'm smart enough not to keep all my cash in it, my phone and my ID are in that stylish coach pack, a remnant of my old life. As the car shoots forward, I lunge for the purse on the floorboard, trying to drag it into my lap. But the arm is still inside, and it grabs my wrist. Dirty fingernails pierce my skin, and I gasp with the pain. I lean on the horn, hoping someone, Margot and Doug, will wake up. If they open the door and release Luna, these men will run. I'll be able to get away. But the motorhome stays dark. I gun the engine, but the hand is still inside the car. He's got my purse in his grasp, and he won't let go. Gathering speed, I swerve on the empty road, trying to dislodge him, but he holds on. And he's fast, sprinting along at pace, and he won't let go. He won't fucking let go. Using my right hand with its damaged wrist, I grab for the knife and swipe blindly at his arm. I slice into his skin, but he doesn't flinch. The meth has given him superhuman strength and speed, made him impervious to pain. The purse with all the documents that make me a person, slips through the window. Gone. And just like that, I am nobody. We'll be back to Daily Bedtime Tales right after this message. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can. And we at With AIM are here to make it happen. With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. The sting of chlorine assaults my nostrils and sends a swell of nostalgia through me. The neighborhood pool was a regular and sustained part of my childhood. Growing up, my family had a summer house in the Catskills. It wasn't opulent, but it was comfortable and lakefront. My mother insisted my sister and I take years of swimming lessons so that she didn't have to worry about us drowning while she sipped gin and tonics on the sun porch with her girlfriends. Teresa and I spent hours paddling in the water, floating in our dinghy, or just lying on damp towels on the dock, staring up at the endless blue as the sun fried the water on our skin. We talked about horses and boys and what we wanted to be when we grew up. Teresa wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a movie star or rock star, someone shiny and bright. The lobby is warm and damp and cloying as I approach the woman at the chipped Formica counter. She looks up, her eyes wary. I lost my pass, I mumble, the familiar sweep of shame making my cheeks hot. She knows I'm lying. 
She knows I'm not here to swim. I see myself through her eyes, haunted, disheveled, carrying two canvas bags stuffed with clothing, food, a few dishes, the items that I couldn't stuff into my trunk. A plastic bag is taped over the broken window, but my car is no longer secure. This is not me, I want to tell the receptionist. I'm a restaurateur, a businesswoman, an entrepreneur. She gives me a begrudging nod. Go ahead, but make it quick. Thank you. A dingy path worn into the linoleum guides me toward the change room. It's vacant except for a couple of seniors fitting their bathing caps in the mirror. I wait for them to leave before heading straight to the showers. A large sign on the cinder block wall reads, Change rooms are for pool customers only. Vagrants, people like me who are here for a hot shower and some free soap, are not permitted. But the staff will look the other way if it's not too busy, if I am quick and quiet. Admission is $7. I could pay, but every penny counts. I need to save up the deposit to rent an apartment. I won't survive living in my car for much longer. There are free showers at some of the shelters, but terrifying stories of theft, rape, even murder swirl around them. And going to a shelter will make my homelessness official. And it is not. It's a temporary, ephemeral state. Stripping off my clothes, I step into the tiled stall. I kick at a soggy band-aid left on the floor and punch the button to turn on the water. My right index finger throbs with the effort, and the scratches on my wrist sting as the hot steam hits them. I probably need a tetanus shot, but that's not going to happen without insurance. For a moment, I close my eyes, let tears flow down my face. I want to go home. I want to get in my car and drive back across the country to New York. But I can't. I have torched and burned every bridge behind me. My family hates me. I have no friends left. And then there is Damon, who will hurt me, even kill me. We met when I was working at a swanky brasserie in the meatpacking district. He was a regular, occupying a prime booth near the back, accompanied by burly associates or beautiful women, frequently both. Oysters, steak frites, vodka for the table. It never changed. Damon was polite and generous, so we all ignored the pervasive sense of danger surrounding him. It was not uncommon in that restaurant, in the industry at large. Men in flashy suits, with significant money to spend but no discernible career. One night, as service wound down, he summoned me from the kitchen. He told me he loved my cooking. I told him about my plans for the aviary. My vision was clear. I'd serve elevated but accessible food. Short ribs with duck fat potatoes, buttermilk fried chicken drizzled with spiced honey, chanterelle mushroom risotto. The tables would be six tops and four tops, only a handful of two tops. Every night would feel like a dinner party in my home. I'd recently found a space in the East Village that would be perfect. I want in, he'd said. So confident, so casual. How much do you need? I needed a lot. I had only two other interested investors. Damon's money was shady. I knew that. But I took it anyway.
because the aviary was my life's dream. I was done working for egotistical, demeaning, or downright abusive bosses. And I was confident in my concept, my capabilities, and my connections. The restaurant would thrive, even in the highly competitive New York market. I'd make my payments on time, so the way Damon made his money was none of my concern. And then the pandemic. People stopped coming. I knew I was going to have to close my doors, even before the mayor forced me to. When restaurants reopened, I tried again. But I was too new. The momentum was lost. I hung on as long as I could. But Omicron was the final straw. My servers got sick, followed by my kitchen staff. And then I went down. We tried to operate short-staffed, pivoted to takeout. But it wasn't enough. I had to admit that my business, my dream, had failed. I worried about my staff, my vendors, my health insurance, and my investors, in that order. Because this was force majeure. They wouldn't expect me to pay. And yet, they did. I tried to apply for a disaster loan, but the website kept crashing. I asked for a line of credit but was turned down due to inadequate business which was the reason I needed it in the first place. My lead line cook suggested a GoFundMe page, but everyone in the industry was suffering. How could I ask for money to keep my restaurant afloat? Finally, my accountant advised me to declare bankruptcy. It would mean I could walk away from all my debts, leaving a trail of spurned and angry suppliers, staff, and investors. That's when Damon crushed my finger with a meat mallet. What had I expected of him? Forgiveness for the money I owed? Understanding, at least? Damon was a gangster. Violence was his currency. But still, I was shocked by the cruelty, the ruthlessness. He promised to break a finger a week until I paid. I'd lose my ability to cook. There was no choice but to run. I kept moving, from city to town ensuring that I never stayed in one place for too long. Damon had other avenues of income, other businesses that would be making their payments on time. He didn't need my money badly enough to send his thugs chasing me across the country. But still, I pushed onward, until I reached Seattle, the Pacific, the end of the line, one of the farthest geographical points from New York and the country. With my elbow, I pump the lemon-scented soap into my hand, wash my body, and use it as shampoo. The harsh detergent will dry my skin, make my hair stiff and frizzy, but all my toiletries were in my backpack. I try to wash away the fear, the loss, the utter sense of desolation that threatens to overwhelm me. Because I have no choice but to keep trying, keep moving forward, keep existing. Stepping from the shower, I dig a towel for my bag. It smells musty, but I patted the droplets on my skin, hoping the scent won't cling to me. Clean laundry has become a luxury I can afford only once a week. A woman with a toddler on her hip enters and gives me a side-eyed glance. I see her brow furrow as she spots the angry red scratches on my arm, clocks my pile of belongings, puts the pieces together. I need to hurry. I used to wear makeup, 
just a little concealer and mascara. A pop of color on my lips and cheeks. But it's all gone now, taken with my purse. I finger comb my tangle of dark hair. The highlights grown down to my chin, pressing it into some semblance of a style. It's not really working, but at least I'm clean and presentable if not attractive. I've let that go. In some worlds, you trade on good looks. In others, you hide them. Eventually, they abandon you anyway. Just a lot quicker when you're homeless. Hurriedly, I slip on a pair of jeans and a black t-shirt. My work, uniform. Thankfully, the diner's dress code is extremely casual. The protective mother is still watching me as she steps out of her clothes. Eyes alert and wary. Does she think I'm crazy? Dangerous? That I might steal from her? I'm not interested in your bag of diapers and animal crackers. I want to snap, but I don't. I drop the moist towel onto one of my canvas bags and hurry past two more moms and babies coming in for swim class. The crisp air outside the pool hits me like a slap, sharpens my senses. I'm beginning to feel weak and lightheaded. I need food and caffeine. There is a coffee shop a few blocks from the pool that sells discounted day-old muffins, spotted bananas, and mealy apples kept in a basket by the till. I'll order a drip coffee loaded with cream and sugar for breakfast and a stale pastry for lunch. I eat supper at the diner, a definite perk of my otherwise unfulfilling employment. Sliding into the driver's seat of my car, I feel the knife press into my hip. I shoved it farther down beside the console but an inch of the handle is still exposed. I pull it out and look at the blood dried on the blade. A shudder runs through me as last night's attack returns to me. I stabbed a man, cut his skin, and yet he didn't care. He didn't stop. I couldn't protect myself or my belongings. I know what I have to do. This car is my home, and it must be secure. My survival depends on it. In the next episode of Vanishing Shadows, Lee's world takes an even darker turn. With a broken car window and dwindling options, she faces a moral crossroads when an unsavory offer comes her way. As Lee grapples with desperation and the high stakes of survival, a mysterious stranger comes with a proposition that could be her ticket out or lead her down a path of no return. Will Lee succumb to the shadows that threaten to consume her, or will she find a glimmer of hope in the midst of the chaos? Subscribe now to witness the intense choices that await Lee in the next episode of Vanishing Shadows.